Hey, everybody, welcome to the Michelle Durante Show. I am your host, Michelle Durante. Hope you're doing well, staying healthy, getting ready for the holidays, doing everything you can just to uh, get through, get through the COVID. This week, we're going to talk about a case that's been, uh, it remains unsolved. It's got a lot of drama, a lot of characters, a lot of twists, a lot of turns. Mostly, I'm going to tell you, it's corruption and it's greed. And I'm talking about none other than the Long Island serial killer or the Gilgo Beach case. It was 11 years ago. December 11th, 2010, that Shannon Gilbert's body was found off Ocean Parkway. And that kicked off a discovery of several bodies along Ocean Parkway up to Jones Beach. And in 2020, a.k.a. Jane Doe 6, Valerie Mack, her body was uh, confirmed through... Um, genealogical DNA, um, and it brought some closure to her family, and she had a very tragic life to begin with. She grew up in foster care, and, um, you know, uh, by the time she was in her teens, she was already, you know, a little bit into drugs and prostitution. She has a child. He's now 20 years old, and, and, you know, he finds a lot of comfort in the fact that you know, they did, uh, they, they know where she is. One of the things with her, her, she was a, um, a prostitute. She did have a drug problem and, uh, she had her son and her, the, the baby's father got custody of the son. And according to, to him who doesn't want to be identified, he, um, he said she was getting her life back together. She actually had just started to get a job at a, uh, a you know, at a retail store and um, was trying to get off of drugs and everything, but was really trying to take a, you know, uh, take a turn. And, um, but again, you know, she met, <clears throat> she met with a, an untimely demise. And um, the reason why she was never reported missing is because of her past, her family really thought that she cut the ties with them, you know, and, uh, Again, heartbreaking all over, but at least there's some closure to uh, to that. Like I said, there's so many there's so many different characters involved, and one of them that really comes to light. Um, there's a uh, there's a guy they call the Manorville Butcher. His name is John Beechroff, and uh, he was from Manorville. He was a carpenter, and his DNA was found when his brother. Uh, got stopped for something and got arrested for breaking a, uh, an order of protection. And, um, as you can see, they evidently, they have a problem with women. And so they took his DNA and they, and, uh, his body was, fa- his DNA, John's DNA was found off of on Rita Tangridi and Colleen McNamee. And according to Rita Tangridi's daughter, she was best friends with M- M- Melissa Bartholomew, who was the first victim found after Shannon Gilbert. And there was a Newsday article in, uh, no, in um, June 12th, 2017. And 
in the article, it basically uh, says that during the trial of, um, of John Betroff, the detective, who's now retired, he testified that detectives were aware that a sergeant in the precinct was forcing prostitutes to give him oral sex. One of them, one of the prostitutes, identified Murphy by name in October 1994. And she said that he demanded sex for nothing seven or eight times next to the Patchogue Motor Inn over a two-year period, which it's, you know, I can see it. I can honestly see it because some of these, I can see that. They're just perverts. They're disgusting perverts. And so in 1998, police investigated him um, and they searched his car for evidence because the two bodies were found in wooded areas and their bodies had a lot of like the wood chips and stuff like that. And they found those same wood chips in Sergeant Murphy's car. So the case lays dormant from 2006 till 2012. And during that time, evidence collected from both crime scenes, Murphy's car and another police officer suspect was destroyed. Then the DNA link came to Betroff and his arrest. And so Murphy's father uh, was chief of detectives. And Murphy, of course, was ruled out as a, a suspect and subsequently promoted to lieutenant. Um, it's just wild to me how everything is like, there's always somebody who knows somebody. They're all linked together. That's, what, that's why I say it's just... Uh, just total greed and, and corruption. So, you know, you don't have, so you have Chief Burke, but then you have this guy. Like at some point, you know, like you have this, this, this sergeant who becomes a lieutenant. You know, so he first you had Chief Burke banging some prostitutes when he was a sergeant. I guess it must just be like, I don't know. But this is why, you know, this is what the problem is. And then they all try to cover up for each other. Now there's another guy involved, and um, he's a cop also from Suffolk County, um, and his name is uh, John Brunkard. He's a sergeant. He's the first vice president of the Suffolk County PD Emerald Society, and uh, he lives on Oak Beach. So during this whole thing, with all these sex parties that they had and all this stuff going on, well, you know, he lives on Oak Beach. And he's got, he had a, he got in a little bit of trouble himself because, okay, so ready? It gets confusing, all this corruption, I know. But in 2011, um, officers had responded to a domestic dispute. What had happened was this woman called the police, said that her estranged ex-boyfriend just kidnapped her child and was threatening to shoot him with a gun. And the police basically didn't really, you know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't pay much attention to it. And as it turned out, the, the, uh, the ex-boyfriend killed the son with, uh, a shotgun. 
So he got in trouble for failure to adequately supervise his officers, uh, probably during the period of time because she took a lawsuit out, uh, and rightfully so, you know, saying that she went to the cops and they were just like, oh yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. So this is what the problem is. Um, he's also a, he was a, uh, like a co-defendant on a, on a, on a civil suit with another resident that lived in, uh, Oak Beach as well. You know, and this is what, this is what it is. So it goes from Chief Burke, all right? We find out that, uh, you know, he, uh, he, he has his, uh, his, his little deviance. And so he, you know, he's doing his thing, right? And, and, uh, and he's the chief and nobody, you know, he's beating people up. He's, he had a prostitute girlfriend come forward and say, he used to beat me up, you know? And the other thing too is what's really sad is as I was going through all this information and I was going back to old clippings, old newspaper clippings, and it really is a shame because, you know, like one of them is like dead hooker, you know, like the Daily News is constantly, the dead hooker, dead hooker remains off of, uh, found remains off of uh, Long Island Expressway, you know, and it's just like enough already, you know, nobody, I, I really doubt that somebody says, hey, I'm going to go do this prostitution thing, and, you know, if you've ever been to, to out here, you know, Long Island, yeah, it's beautiful, and it's got nice beaches, but there's some seedy white trash out here, man, and if you ever went to some of these places, if you ever went to the uh, Patchogue Motor Inn, or right around the block from it, are you kidding me? It's disgusting, you'd see it's seedy, you know, and it doesn't surprise me. You see it. It's in every town. It's in every single town. And, you know, did they have drug problems? Of course they did. I'm sure they had drug problems. It's not their fault that they had drug problems. It just happens, you know, but it doesn't discount them as people. As I'm doing this podcast and as I'm doing all this research and stuff, and I always try to do like, you know, just before I, I'm going to uh, tape it, I always just like make sure I got everything up to date. And so I'm reading the paper this morning, and then and, and I get like, I got all confused, right? Just bef- just like two minutes ago, it's because I was reading in the article, uh, an article in the local newspaper today. They did this whole uh, expose on uh, the Suffolk County Police Department. This one incident in particular, where this guy, um, they arrest this female. In, uh, and bring her back to the station house. She had a warrant, you know, two, two minor warrants or whatever. And, um, and she had some marijuana on her. And so they bring her back to the station house. And, and of course, you know, you want to clear the warrants, whatever. So, uh, and this was a few years ago. So they, they go to, um, bring her in. And, um, when I was, a, a, a detective when I was a cop, anytime you moved a prisoner around, like if you weren't in the arrest processing room, with the prisoner, you know, there had to be a reason why you were moving them somewhere else, okay, whether it was to debrief them or whatever, and like in the NYPD, they had logs for everything, so you had a debriefing log, so everything that you did was was recorded, right, so this guy takes her, uh, this woman to the juvenile um, interrogation room, it's a room designated where you, where you interrogate well, when you when you arrest a juvenile, you bring them in there. You you don't put them with adults. So my guess is, as there, it takes a while sometimes for these warrants to clear. Like you call up and you have to, um, 
you, you, you wait for them to look it up, whatever. So it takes a little bit to get the information. You'll run it through the computer and they give you a phone number and stuff like that and you call up and whatever. The, uh, the other person usually calls you back to tell you that, in fact, if the warrant is active or not. A lot of times they don't get co- closed in the computer. So, you know, because of course there's always somebody not doing their job. So, uh, so anyway, she, um, so they, they bring, this officer brings a female over to the juvenile interrogation room and doesn't make a notation as to why, only that he does say later on that he was trying to sign her up as a, as an informant. And I guess maybe the small amount of marijuana that he found on her, she knew like the big weed guy in, uh, in wine dance, you know, which was where she was locked up. And, uh, you know, that was going to be the big, uh, you know, the big weed guy bus. But, um, so they, you know, again, they go to, he says that's, that, that's why they were there. And while they were in the room, he tries to get her to have, uh, he tries to get her to give him oral sex and, Somebody was trying to get in the room, so he he gets spooked. They go back, and again a few hours later, brings her back there and does in fact um, have or make her perform oral sex on him, and then says to her, gives her water and a cup, and says, "Clean yourself off." And so what she did was she made sure that some of the DNA got on her sweater because she knew right away that no police agency would ever believe her. So she goes to a lawyer because she doesn't trust law enforcement for obvious reasons. The lawyer contacts the FBI. The FBI takes over the investigation. When they go to lock this cop up, he's like, oh, we have a family and everything. But, you know, again, another piece of garbage. So you can imagine, you know, again, why there's a lot of criticism. They have this, uh, they released uh, a website, you know, and... um it's just like it's almost like just to say, yeah, we have we have a website. The website's up and running, you know. And since since uh, since last year, I mean, the former police commissioner Geraldine Hart, she got out of there. She went into the private sector, and I can't say I blame her, because quite honestly, you know, it's uh, you're you're fighting an uphill battle, and it's just you know now that like now that a lot of this stuff comes to light you know, and there's a little bit more explaining to do, you know, and some, maybe some procedures have to be implemented. But the bottom line is, again, you know, there's still no, uh, no progress on this case whatsoever. And, you know, we can't, we can't just sit there and, you know, it can't all be a, it can't, nope, this guy, whoever it is, can't get away with it. Um, Could be one guy, could be a group of guys, some people say, that Shannon Gilbert wasn't part of the, uh, you know, her thing, you know, and in and of itself, her situation is a, is a whole other ball of wax. You know, they said that she wasn't involved with the Long Island serial killer, but yet there's ties to several of those young women back to Oak Beach. They, there's all ties of, you know, to the West Babylon area. And again, you know, if you're not familiar with Long Island, you you can do, there's a lot of podcasts out there, but one of the better ones is the Unraveled podcast because it goes into, it starts out with, um, you know, the 
describing the community and it is a very 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 tight community they don't want they they don't encourage visitors it's not like you know you go to fire island there's people that you know they rent out their houses to you know nobody rents out their houses on oak beach um just a very very uh you can tell that there's a lot of clicks in there and stuff and you know somebody and then you got to wonder like there's always the kook that somebody knows somebody but doesn't know somebody but there's just too much stuff there's too much shady stuff going on that you know um it, this has to be uh that somebody has to be be held accountable um and it's uh you know it's really you want to just put closure for uh for Shannon's family, you know, the one who kicked everything off for her sister. She, you know, her family still continues to struggle with, um, you know, bad things happening and and it's terrible. Um, it's just horrible, but really, you know, again, there's, there's so many, this doesn't just go back 10 years or 20 years. This is like a long withstanding, um, it runs deep, you know, as we saw, with, it started with Chief Burke. It runs pretty deep. And it's not, you know, again, it's not all of all of the, uh, it's, you know, it's not the entire Suffolk County Police Department. But it's the kind of thing that, you know, when you have your chief doing this and your sergeant doing this, what what are you supposed to do? You know, nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to take you seriously. You're certainly not going to call up IAB and say, hey, I think Chief Burke's uh, doing crack and, you know, doing this, this, and that, they're not going to take you seriously. So, you know, and you're going to be labeled a rat and all that. And especially out here, forget it. And I think one of the things that really gets me about all this is that, you know, people have a lot to say about all law enforcement agencies and they're critical and, you know, hey, I'm with you. That's fine. Um, you know, and there's things I agree with and things I don't agree with, but the one thing I find is like when it comes to like this level of activity, of deviant activity, I can't even imagine, like I would get in trouble. I would get spoken to if I like didn't put a proper entry in, you know, and it would be something that it wouldn't be anything controversial. You know, it might've just been a box or, but you know, like, so that made me be like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I have to make sure, you know, like I have to make sure I put in, I tell the boss why I'm moving the prisoner from here to there. Like everything had to be, you always had to cover your ass. That was like the big thing. And you had a whole, you know, and I, of course I knew my mistake is my mistake. You know, the sergeant's not going to go to bat for me. He's not going to lose his, his pension and his, his, uh, his income to, you know, because of my, like, because of something that I did that I should have known better. You know, I'm not talking about something as like a shooting. I'm talking about just, just paperwork, just, just simple behaviors, just simple little behaviors. You know, you notice some in your coworkers. So I can't for the life of me remember his name, but I picture him very vividly, real young cop, you know, and uh, he had an off-duty incident, and so he gets sent to our precinct, and he doesn't have his guns or his, his uh, shield, you know, just his uh, ID card that says he's not allowed to have his guns or his shield, 
And so they, he's doing like administrative work or whatever, like clean, like the broom. They called him the broom. He's sweeping up in the precinct, you know, not allowed to have any interaction with like prisoners or anything like that, right? So he's sweeping up and stuff like that if they needed him to, uh, you know, take uh, reports, you know, just things of that nature. Mind you, it was an off-duty police incident, so he no, no, he was probably drunk, you know. Um, oh, I'm sorry, off-duty incident, so he's probably drunk, right? So things were starting to, like, get missing around the precinct, you know, and <clears throat> uh, right away, you know, we're thinking, oh, it's definitely, you know, we think it's this guy or whatever. And, um, but, like, he seemed like, you know, he was just weird. Like, he seemed like... um Oh, it couldn't have been him. He's like too haphazard. You know, he's a little bit of a dim bulb, you know. He's just a kid, whatever. And, uh, you know, but there was just something about him. Like, maybe he is sneaky. He's, you know, but he was like, he had that sneakiness about him. So lo and behold, uh, one day uh, they they had to send a car, a police car up to his house because he didn't come into work. And, you know, they wanted to make sure he was okay, whatever, and few like maybe like an hour after our roll call say it's like like 8 30 they get a call from like a police agency in upstate new york and um so evidently this guy thought it was a great idea to go you know to the college town right and impress the young ladies that he's a uh, police officer you know and so they're all like oh you know because he's like 25 26 and they were like 21 and so now you know the, the bar's closing up, and sure enough, he wants to take one of the girls, you know, back with him, and she didn't want to go, and he takes her all the way back to, like, his house or something like that, or, you know, wherever he was living, and um, they, they uh, you know, the girl escapes and, you know, makes this police report and the whole nine yards, and, you know, subsequently, he, he did get fired. But the messed up thing about it is that, like, he got fired much later on. Like, when that incident happened, like, three days later, he was back at the precinct because he didn't have his guns or anything on him, you know? And it just, like, was just so bizarre to me. Like, this is the second incident that this guy had, you know? And I had since left the precinct. I don't even know what happened to him. I'm sure he got fired. But because he knew somebody on the job, like they sent him to our precinct, which was actually a nicer, you know, it was a pretty nice precinct. It had good places to eat. It had a great community. You know, people were, were, were cool, low crime rate, you know? And so they send this guy there. Like, that's the dumping. That was the mentality. And, and you know, I just can't imagine... Um, it's a, it's like a losing battle because in that instance, there's nobody, we already knew he had a hook. We already knew he knew somebody, you know, his, his relative was some big guy on the job that was going to save him. And, you know, evidently he couldn't save him that much, but just like you put everybody else, you put all us other guys in jeopardy because this guy's got to be an idiot, you know? Just, uh, so th that's why these things don't surprise me, you know? There was this stalker sergeant that was after my partner. And, like, when my partner got promoted and left the precinct, this guy, like, tried to say all bad shit about me because he was trying to get back at, at you know, because he was mad because my partner rejected him, you know? And later on, he ends up in special victims. 
as a sergeant. This is the guy who was soliciting prostitutes when he was a, when he was a cop. But later on in his career, he ended up in special victims. So, you know, again, I'm talking, you know, I've, uh, I've been retired for quite some time and I'm talking a while ago. And quite honestly, I do think it's changed in the, in the, the NYPD a bit. Um, you know, I, uh, I started to see it in, in the sense of, uh, you know, certain things like weren't being tolerated anymore, but out, out in these, uh, smaller, uh, agencies where, you know, you pay high taxes, you know, you pay high taxes for a reason. And, um, and the salaries are pretty decent for a reason. And then when you find out later on that, you know, your whole entire life, this was all a big, you know, this, it's all a big farce. It doesn't matter who, you, you know, all, all that matters is who, you know, cause then you're going to get away with it. But, you know, this is one thing that, uh, that it really, people have to start talking. And, uh, if anybody has any information, we really have to get closure to all these young women and men that they, uh, found that were, you know, killed, um, maybe by one guy, maybe by a few guys, maybe by the same group of people, who knows, but something's got to get done because we have to get some closure. And, like I said, when I was looking back into this case in the early nineties, there was a lot of people missing, a lot of people missing. And it's like, because they were prostitutes, they were considered less than, you know, and I said earlier, referred to in the paper as, you know, you know, the hookers, you know, hookers remains confirmed as, you know, crack addict or something like, you know, just drag her down through the mud even more. So it's time to really move forward. Let's, you know, try to get this, uh, get this solved and bring some closure to, uh, to all these victims. So if you have any information, contact the FBI. Um, and with that, I'll catch you guys next week on the Michelle Durante show. Thanks for listening.